Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is Stephen Dimmitt. One item of housekeeping before we jump into today's episode. I had a listener of the podcast reach out and bring this to my attention and ask if I would share this either in the podcast or on Instagram. And it felt important enough to take a minute or two here in the intro to talk about it. Kyler Pallister is a climber from Anchorage, Alaska, and I understand that he's been living in Bozeman, Montana for a while and is well known in the Bozeman climbing community. He and his brother Eric have done some root development in the area. Kyler was recently diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, and a paragraph on his GoFundMe page describes this as a run-out 514 version of blood cancer, whereby there is an excess of immature white blood cells made by the bone marrow. So a member of our climbing tribe needs our help. Kyler is currently being treated at the MD Anderson Cancer Treatment Center in Houston, Texas. It sounds like he has an incredible team of doctors, but the road to recovery does look like it is going to be a difficult one and quite a long one. At least five months of treatment is what the doctors are estimating. So there is a GoFundMe page that is live for Kyler right now, and I will link to it in the show notes at the very top of the show notes page, as well as in the episode notes right there in your podcast app. It looks like the GoFundMe has received a lot of support so far, but given what little I know about medical costs here in the States, I am sure that more support will be needed by the time this is all said and done. And I'm sure it would be very much appreciated by Kyler and his family. I have never met Kyler personally, but Kyler, if you are listening to this, Know that we are thinking of you and sending you positive energy and wishing you the best. Stay strong, friend. There are many undeveloped routes waiting for you to bring them to life on the other side of this difficult time. So again, for everyone else listening to this, Kyler Pallister is his name, and you can learn more about his situation and what you can do to help on his GoFundMe page. And you can find a link to that right there in your podcast app. And thank you again to the listener who reached out and brought this to my attention. Okay, on to today's episode. Today's guest is actually a cancer survivor. And when I learned about Kyler, it felt like one of those not so subtle nudges from the universe and I couldn't really imagine a more hopeful or appropriate conversation to share at this moment in time. Christophe Bichet is my guest today. Christophe is from France, and he has a very interesting personal story. Christophe was born with a very rare and very serious blood disorder called Fanconi anemia, and he wasn't expected to live very long. In fact, as I understand it, Christoph has outlived just about everybody who shares his condition. He is currently 35 years old and has a wife and a three-month-old daughter, which we talk about towards the end of the interview. And Christoph is also a badass. He truly is a world-class rock climber, having climbed as hard as 514C. I first met Christoph and got to climb with him for a day at Smith Rock back in 2013, I believe. And one of the first things I noticed about him was his size. That is something you can't miss when you meet Christoph. Fanconi anemia has some really interesting effects on growth, and Christoph has some unusual dimensions for a 35 year old man. And we talked about his height at the start of the interview. And we talked about how his unique size and body type plays into his climbing and how he thinks about climbing grades in particular. I also remember Christoph's enthusiasm and his pure joy for life and for climbing and just for being outside in nature 
That is something that has stuck with me all of these years since that very first day climbing with him. And I was really excited to have this conversation with him. It really was every bit as insightful as I expected it would be. And I really enjoyed it. Christoph is a motivational speaker and a teacher, and that definitely comes through in this interview. And he has a wide breadth of experience in many different interests, from Japanese archery to musical instruments to hypnotherapy. We covered some of that in this conversation and how he approaches learning new skills. One thing that was really interesting that we talked about was how he will pretend to be a person who he admires, who exemplifies whatever skill it is that he is trying to learn and literally acts like them for weeks at a time to try to step into their shoes and learn to climb a little bit more like them, for instance. We also covered some of his philosophy of life in general and some of the messages that he shares with the people that he coaches and teaches, and a lot more. We covered a lot of ground in this conversation, and I encourage you to listen through the whole thing. There's some really, really good stuff towards the end of this episode. I will be sure to share some photos of Christoph on Instagram this week at the Nugget Climbing, so be sure to follow me there. And without further ado... Please enjoy this conversation with Christophe Bichet. Well, hi, Christophe. It's really good to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Likewise. I usually don't do this. I usually don't start with people's origin story, but I think in... Uh, in this context, with your story, it, it will really provide some valuable context for people. And you have a very rare condition called Fanconi anemia, if I'm getting that name correctly. And for listeners, it's a rare disease, uh, a very serious blood disorder that prevents your bone marrow from making enough new blood cells for your body to work normally. And I thought we could start actually with you describing yourself and specifically your dimensions. I remember having a day with you at Smith Rock. I think that was the first time we met, and that was the one of the first things that uh, that caught my attention about you. But can you, for the listeners, can you describe yourself? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So, so um, probably the first thing that people see or notice about me is that I'm. I'm quite small. Um, I don't know how it makes in feet, but my size is one meter fifty centimeters. Can you translate? <laughs> Can you try to? I can't. I actually, I, uh, I was prepared for this. Right, you've got the conversion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think. Let me see. I had. I need to add another zero here. So four feet eleven, I believe. Yep. Probably. Four feet, 11 inches, yeah. 1.5. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, so at some point, it's quite an advantage for some reason, because I'm very light. Mm. But uh, for other climbing routes, of course, it's it's not an advantage at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I like I said, I, I think we met um, I think it might have been your first day climbing at Smith Rock when we met and we got to climb together for the day. And there's a few things I remember about you from that day. And uh, like I said, the first one was your physical appearance. And then I remember to this day, your enthusiasm. It really stood out to me. You had this childlike enthusiasm for climbing and for being out there. And it just seemed like you were genuinely filled with delight by every movement and every new route that we climbed. And I remember noticing that you are an incredible rock climber. The way you moved, you were obviously very, very expert at climbing. And I didn't know much about you before this day together. But another thing I remember, and I'd love to hear you talk about this, you didn't want to know the name or the grade of anything that we climbed on. And it came back to your height and your unique 
dimensions, I guess, and the way that that related to your experience with, uh, you know, grades that had been or routes that had been graded by average size people, you know, people like my size that are 5'8", 5 5'10", 5 etc. So can you speak to that? I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about how you approach a new area or a new climb. Yes. Um, uh, thanks for the topic, because uh, that's one topic that I really love because uh, uh, because it does matter a lot actually and and in the climbing community there's so much um, uh, how can I say that uh, lots of people are just are just going crazy about those grade system and that actually limits uh, a lot what their real potential is so there's something that I love to do for a very long time. Every time that I go to a new spot, a spot that I don't know that I've never been to, I love not to hear about the grades. <laughs> and this is absolutely magic because you have to be really attentive about what you see and how you feel about what you see. And so the only grade you have in your mind is your feeling, basically. So do I feel I can climb that route or... A lot, <laughs> and and this is great because when you actually do that, you train yourself a lot more to observe what is in front of you, mm. and you have no filter. You have no filters because when you know the grade, automatically, even though you've made a, you know, you've done a great uh, mental job on that to to avoid, um, you know, having some some connection with the grade, it's 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 quite impossible not to do any connection. Basically, so it's easier if you don't know the grade, and that's just fantastic. So every time I go to a new spot, I love to ask everybody around me, please don't tell me anything. <laughs> just tell me if it's safe, if if there's mm. an anchor at the end, and you know, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know if it's safe. That's all I need to know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Yeah, that is so interesting. I'd love to hear how that ties into your sense of accomplishment. You know, when you think about some of the the hardest routes or the most gratifying routes that you have completed, does the grade hold any weight for you or is it is it a totally personal thing? And is it so much more about your own personal experience with the route? How do you think about that? Okay, so... Um... A not so honest answer would be to say, I really don't care about the grades and the most memorable rules are the ones with which I had the most, uh, uh, the most difficulties with. But this is not really true. You know, if I'm really fair with myself, I cannot say that fully entirely. So, of course, when I know the grades, it's very much rewarding to know that you've climbed a very difficult route, basically. Okay, and um, but at the same time, in terms of of feelings, of course, usually those are not the ones that brought you the greatest sense of achievement or accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Usually, it's not the hardest one, and uh, this has happened to me all the time that I go out. It's not the hardest that that you keep in mind, basically, hmm. or you keep in mind the hardest because of the grades, but not because of your feelings. Mm. Most of the time. If you're open to it, I'd love to hear some examples of both. Maybe uh, we can start with what are some of the climbs that have the most meaning for you when you just pause and, and reflect on your own climbing and your journey through climbing? What are some of the, the ones that really stand out as being meaningful? Mm. That's a good question. Well, there's, there's one, f for instance, in the south of France, uh, it's called Big Mac. Big so the Mac. name is easy to yeah right. Okay. The name is easy to remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not what I was expecting from the south of France. <laughs> there you I go. I can actually pronounce it. Actually pronounce it. So, and this is supposed to be a route that's graded seven B. So, um, uh, sorry. Twelve B. Uh, yeah, right. Five twelve B. So. So that's supposed to be rather easy for me. And I can tell you, uh, in terms of how I felt in this route, it was at least 8A, 8A plus. 
five. Um, yeah, thirteen B, thirteen C. Yes, yes, right, right. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. So, uh, and and trust me, this is something that happens to me all the time. The grades that are written on the paper, because they are here for average person, usually they never apply to me. Mm. It's very rare that uh, I have the sensation that, okay, this is actually 513A or 514A or whatever. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. So as far as that one in particular, was it the size of the moves? What was it that made it feel so much more difficult for you than the given grade? Right. Um, in this route especially, it was the, the movement at some point because... Uh, the holes are quite okay, but there's one kind of boulder section in the middle and, and the holes are a little bit far, so I had to to make a crazy boulder problem in the middle of the road. Mm. And so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so there was no comparison be between what I was doing and what somebody with a normal size would do, actually. <laughs> and... Uh, I have to say as well, you know, um, at Smith Rock, for instance, there's something else that was on my mind, which was the, the, the place itself is so much inspiring. And, uh, and the type of climbing really suits my style very well. Mm. So uh, most of the time, I find the routes quite easy mm. at Smith Rock. And I know that Smith Mock is not um, very well known for the easy grades, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if you see what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, but watching you climb, I remember that. It, it makes sense to me to hear you say that because, I mean, you, you are so light, but you also just look so light on your feet and you climb so well. And Smith does have a lot of texture. So if you can use a tiny little hold in between all the other holds that no one else uses, then, you know, there's there's so many more options available to you. And I really remember watching you take advantage of that right in front of my eyes. So, yeah, that, that does make sense. That's really interesting. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and actually, to, to, to even go further, this is, that's one point that I develop a lot in all the stuff that I do in climbing when I used to teach or even in my, in the conference that I do now, I I always talk about that. Please don't, don't, just do your best to not attach too much energy or try not to be attached at what's written on the paper, basically. Mm. Because that's supposed to be for an average person. And if there's one thing that is true, is that nobody, no one is average. <laughs> Right? right, you've got your own specificities. <laughs> so right, nobody is average. Okay, <laughs> we all have strengths and weaknesses, so it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where I heard this. I remember an anecdote about a car manufacturer who tried to design a car seat, like a normal seat, you know that that you sit in when you drive a car, that was perfectly designed for the averages. And it ended up being a complete failure because it just was uncomfortable for absolutely everybody. It, did, <laughs> it didn't fit anybody in an ideal way at all because no one truly was the average. So, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to back up a couple steps. I want to hear. I mean, you just mentioned uh, some of the coaching, the life coaching, and business coaching that you do. And I would love to hear a little bit more about your childhood and your upbringing and being diagnosed with, I'm going to have to blank on the name here. Yeah, yeah Fanconi anemia. Yeah, Fanconi anemia. And with that thing. <laughs> that thing. <laughs> and, uh, and the path that led you to where you are today. Uh, there's a lot of different directions we can go with that. And there's a lot I'd love to touch on. But I, I think I'll leave it open-ended and just, I would love to hear... Yeah, yeah, about your upbringing and um, how your life changed with that diagnosis. Wow, well, that's a big one. Um, maybe just to start with, um, the feeling that I had when I was diagnosed with this disease 
uh, when I grew up, I really felt like I was very, very different from all the other teenagers at the same age. Hmm. And so I was very isolated. And and somehow uh, I thought I was I was the problem. You know, I was I was not good. I felt I was not good. I was not worth. Uh, no, and, and and all the others were right. <laughs> wow. And something happened with climbing is that I used to go outside with my parents uh, climbing in the Fontainebleau Forest nearby Paris. And at some point, I realized that there were some boulders that I could do that my parents couldn't do. <laughs> and I thought, well, there might be just... A, somehow, maybe, perhaps, one area where I'm not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the beginning with, uh, with, uh, with my journey with rock climbing hmm. and with regaining my self-esteem, basically. Hmm. Hmm. So I, I reached out to our mutual friend, Andrew Hunziker, before mm. this conversation, and I have a lot of notes from him that I want to draw on here. And one thing that he highlighted that I really like, and I'd really love to hear you speak to, is being told by your doctors that you didn't have long to live, and so you should live each day as if it was your last. And it sounds like you flipped that around. And rather than living like it was your last, really deciding to live each day as if it was your first day. And I would, I, I love this idea and I'd love to hear you elaborate on that. Yeah, right, right. Well, this is a good one as well. Um, this is something that I realized quite early. And um, when I met lots of people with the same uh, uh, condition that the one I had, uh, I realized that almost all of them was seeing that as the they had to hurry in life. Mm. They had to to do lots of things very quickly because the end was coming fast. And I thought, well, that's a huge pressure. That's an enormous pressure, you know. <laughs> if you try to do so many things at the same time because you're just basically afraid of dying, then you're gonna you're gonna mess the messed up everything you're trying to do, basically. Mm. So that's what I discovered, that, that flipping that thing around, thinking just, well, what if every day, I could live every day not as the last, but as the first one, what could happen differently? And that puts you in a state of mind that's absolutely different, completely different game. See, it, it, it has nothing to do, nothing to see. And yeah, to me, that was the beginning of playing with life rather than... Uh, um, how do you say that? Shit. Uh, subir, to, to endure life. Is that mm, correct? Yeah, yeah. Playing with life versus enduring. All right. Yeah. I like that. All right. And, and in climbing, it has always been the same, actually. Uh, at some point, I really did my best to make that a mental habit as... When I was trying some some very hard project, I really did my best to have this 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 mental status. Okay, I'm here for the very first time. I'm like a virgin in <laughs> in the front of this route, and I'm just going to do my best, and we'll see what happens. And I can tell you, it it changes so many things. It's hard to really go into this mental space. It's not easy at all <laughs> because we've all been taught all our lives to do the opposite, you know? <laughs> mm. <laughs> but it works well mm. at the end. Seeing all of your peers and noticing that they seem to have this pressure of having to do all these things very quickly because they had limited time. It's interesting to hear you say that because you, how old are you? Uh, now I'm 35. 35. So in your 35 years, you have acquired the most eclectic and expansive collection of <laughs> skills and interests I've ever come across. You know, from being a teacher and a life coach, you play multiple musical instruments, uh, you perform magic, you, I, I believe you've 
you're like a world champion in knitting, or you have been in the past. <laughs> uh, you're an expert climber. You do kaiudo, which is、uh, a form of Japanese archery. Carpentry, speaking multiple languages. You're a trained hypnotherapist, and you've done mental training with the French climbing team. I mean, when I read that list, I just think like, you're 35. How have you had the time to fit all of that in? Well, and, well, it, I go ahead. I just took my time. I took my time. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know it may be weird to. To listen to, but I really took my time. And on my point of view, I always thought, "Well, I'm." It takes too long. You know, I, <laughs> I think I'm very slow, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Well, I would, I would love to ask you a few questions about that.、Um, the first is, you know, having accomplished so many different things and acquired so many different skills. I would love to know what are some of the things that you don't do. What are some of the things that you have cut out or that you don't bother spending your time doing, so that you can focus on things that are more interesting to you or more valuable to you. Okay. Well, the simplest answer is very easy. It would be anything that I feel I don't, I don't genuinely want to do. I just don't do it.、Hmm. I, you know, I do my best to organize my my agenda, not to do the stuffs, or to delegate. That is much easier said than done. That's right, that's right. Powerful <laughs> thing. Yeah. Hence the warning before you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have a way of?、Uh, I wonder how to ask this. It's always so difficult to say no. You know whether that's、uh, because of the relationship at stake. You know whether we're being asked to do something by someone who we care about, or we feel social obligation from the culture. Whatever it is, saying no can be so difficult. Do you do you have any?、Um, you know, maybe this comes to your your coaching. Do you have any recommendations or thoughts on how to gracefully say no and guard that time? Hmm. Well.、Um... There are lots of ways to, to as you very nicely said, to gracefully say no. I love that expression. It's very nicely said. I love that. <laughs> and、um, but the simplest and the easiest, if you basically know why you're here, I, of course you probably know Simon Sinek and and all his work about why. You know why is the most important question you can ever ask somehow. Who who is that? Why are you here,、that? Simon?、Um, Simon Sinek. Okay. Does does that make sense to you, or maybe no? I don't know. No, I'm not familiar. Unless I'm drawing a blank here. Hmm. He's uh, uh he's done one of the most famous、uh, TEDx talk. Okay. Uh um, the TED talk are are those little conferences. Uh huh. That are very、uh-huh. famous now, and he's done an extraordinary. Uh, one that you can you can go online and just、uh, yeah I'll, I'll be sure to to watch it and I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes for people that haven't seen it. Sure, and so、um, the easiest way to remember that you got to say no sometimes is to remember basically why you're here.、Hmm. And I have a huge advantage compared to lots of other people on this question. Because it's easy for me to know why I'm here. Because I've been so many times close to death, that is easier for me to remember that because it's engraved in my, you know, in my body.、Hmm. And but that's the easiest thing to do. Just ask yourself why I'm here. And and if it was, and that time you can ask yourself the question: If it was my last day, what would I love to, to give as a message to the people I love? And that message is the thing you should really grab onto and stay close to.、Hmm. And if if what what people are proposing you is not nurturing that message, then just say no. I'm sorry.、Um, that that doesn't nurture me. That doesn't feed me.、Um, I have to decline.、Hmm. And it's 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 as simple as that. But 
I know it's simple to say, but not not always simple to to do, of course, as mm. you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you talk about having this clear vision for why you're here, if I were to put words to why you're here, it seems that it's to help people wake up and start living. I, I wonder what your words would be. What are the words that resonate with you as far as why you feel like you're here and, and what you're put here to do? Hmm. I think I believe that I'm here to to wake up people's vitality. Hmm. And the metaphor that I use all the time, and I feel completely blessed with 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 being in touch with this world, is we are all rock climbers. Hmm. And that metaphor works for every single thing, for every field, for big companies or for te- or for teenagers. And that means basically when you climb, you can go in many directions, but the two main things that you do, the two main principal movements that you do when you climb, you basically grab one hold and one at a time. Okay, not not multiple holds because otherwise you'd be an octopus, <laughs> which we are not. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> so, so we just grab one hold at a time and if you want to go up, you have to let go of the hold you had before. Mm. And those are the two movements that we basically do all the time in life, in whatever situation. We grab onto what's essential at the present moment right now. And at the same time, or just a few minutes later, we have to let go of lots of other things as well. Hmm. And those are the two uh, basic ideas that that I think I'm here for. Hmm. And if you understand that, life is going to be so much easier. So, so, so much easier. And then you need to find, of course, your own rhythm with you know, those two movements hmm. so that you feel good and, and, and it's not separated. You don't need to think about that after a while. When you climb, you don't need to think about which hold to, to not hold anymore, <laughs> which one to grab. When you know the rules, you just just go with it and you repeat and you repeat and you just do your best to 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 go smoother and lighter and one day it works out. Mm. I love that metaphor. I would love to ask if you're open to it or if you're able to, would you be able to share an example from yourself? Maybe an example of something that you are focusing on and a single thing that you're grabbing onto right now and embracing and then I'd also love to to hear something that you're focusing on letting go of right now or recently have let go of. Mm, okay, okay. Well, um, I do have in mind two big examples, actually. Uh, there's one. F- um, okay, can I go back a yes. little bit? Yeah, this can be any time. Yeah, I'd love just any example that comes to mind. Sure. Okay, so the first one that came to mind is uh, uh, in 2007, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. It was not the first cancer. Yeah, it was uh, a mouth cancer. And so um, I had uh, uh, to go under surgery and uh, the doctors had to to, uh, cut out of part of my tongue. So, um, and at that time I had no idea whether I could speak again normally or eat again or Kiss again, you know, the French kiss does matter here, you know. <laughs> so, so uh, it's funny right now, but at that time it was not funny at all, of course. Yeah, I can't imagine. Mm. And at the very same time, I thought, okay, life is very highly probably going to be very shorter than other lives around me. Uh, doctor said I had probably six to eight months to live at that moment. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to realize one of the dreams that I had. And one dream that I had at that time was I've always wanted to play on a grand piano. Hmm. As I played the piano for a very long time, you know, I, one dream that I had, okay, someday I will play on my own grand piano. I will have one at home, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, it doesn't matter. Uh, the end seems to be coming, so I'm going to buy that fucking piano. 
<laughs> and <laughs> so so I I bought that piano and and I signed the bill for that piano the day before I entered the hospital for the surgery. Wow. And I do remember after the surgery I was uh, I was not doing good. Uh, I was lying. You know, I couldn't do anything on my hospital bed. I had a tracheotomy, so I couldn't talk. Mm. Um, I couldn't do much. And there was a moment where I was absolutely, you know, I just wanted to, I just wanted to stop it all. And I really thought, why should I go on? Why should I continue to fight? And I do remember that at that time, I would basically um, pull the drawer on my right side and I would pull out that fucking piano bill. (laughs) And I would just open it, you know, and just seeing that bill would, you know, I, I was picturing myself finally playing on that grand piano. And that brought me back to life. Wow. So the thing is, that's one of the moments in my life where I understood that you know, the, the essential hold at that moment was a piano bill. <laughs> so I understood that a piano or a bill could be a source of profound joy and happiness which is weird. (laughs) 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 But that was my very highly precious hold Mm. at that moment, a bill. And and that happens all the time, actually. Uh, Now, my most precious hold is is the discussion I'm having with you. I have no idea what's happening in my house. I don't know what's <laughs> happening with my daughter. With my, I have, and I don't care at all, to be honest. You know, because the most precious thing, the the, the one hold I'm, I'm I'm trying to hold on to, is is our discussion. Hmm. So I have to let go of all the other concerns. And. If I can give you one last example for the letting go stuff um, very quickly, one of the hardest hold I had to let go was my identity as a sick person. Hmm. Um, you know, every time that I would present myself, uh, I would say very often, hey, hi, I am Fanconianemia. When I met other people with the same disease, or doctors, or, 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 or groups, when we were talking about that with psychologists and stuff, everybody would present themselves. And, and they all said, and me included, hey, hi, I'm FA, I'm Finconianemia. So they would just say that their identity was their disease, and I did the same. And that's the moment where I realized, whoa, this is a mistake. I'm not my, my disease. I'm not my conditions. I'm Christophe Bichet. Hmm. You know? <laughs> and the disease is just part of myself. Hmm. So that was one very, very tough one to let go. Thank you for sharing all that. I would love to ask you more about these other parts of yourself, these other interests and skills that you've developed. And I'd love to hear how you go about approaching learning a new skill or a new hobby. You know, I mentioned all these different things that that you do and have done and, and spend time doing. And yeah, I'd love to hear how you go about learning something new if something catches your interest. Do you hire an expert to teach you? Do you read books? Do you have a process for how you break down a new skill into its component parts. Uh, yeah, tackle that any way you'd like to. I'd just love to hear how you approach learning something. Okay, great, great. Well, well, that's that's actually pretty easy because as I've told you, uh, now I have some places where I do climb and some others where I don't climb anymore. And it doesn't matter to me because I have completely uh, integrated this philosophy that I'm a climber in whatever I do. 
So when it comes to approach a new skill or new interest, I always do exactly the thing as, as what I would do if I would approach a new route, you know. Uh, and the first thing is I'm looking for getting inspired. Hmm. If I'm not excited, at least a little bit, I, I just won't go. Or if I have to, I'll try to connect that thing that I have to do with something excited for me. Mm. So, so I really ask myself the, the question, how learning that skill will help me getting excited about that thing that I'm really excited about. So, so, so I try to make connection because I need to be inspired. I need to feel in my body that, that all my body wants to be better at that. And it's exactly just the same thing as when you go climbing. You, you want to be inspired by a route that you want to climb. Okay? <laughs> you don't climb a route you don't want to climb. <laughs> but, right. <laughs> it's funny to say that like that, but, 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 but everybody does that all the time. It's true. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. I'm like, right. oh, man, why is that so hard? <laughs> Why does that feel so profound? Because it's so obvious. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so and and, and and it goes on like that. Then after being inspired, I just ask myself, okay, uh, with with which person can I attach myself with? Because I want to learn faster. Hmm. So of course, as you said, I try to read books. Uh I I try to connect with the best in those areas because it's just easiest. You know, if you climb with a good climber, you, you, you're just going to be better much faster. <laughs> you know, that's, all, that's learning all by yourself. And I go on like that uh, as if I were approaching a new climbing route. Mm. It, it's very simple, actually. It's very <laughs> simple. Mm. Yeah, I cannot say better than that, you know. <laughs> That's great. Can you speak to, this is something I got from a conversation that you had with Andrew a while back. Can you speak to this uh, next step of identifying as the best at something that you're trying to do or, or pretending that you are one of the best at this new thing and then how you move forward from that? D does that make sense? Yes, it does. Do you know make what I'm sense. talking about with that? Okay. Yes, yes, yeah, sure. Because there are some 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 refinement um, to bring to that idea, of course. So um, when I say I try to connect to the best ones, actually, this is not completely true. I I'm trying to connect with the ones that are better than me, and and that make me feel something. No, because what they are doing. Either it impresses me or I believe they're very good compared to me. And because I know that getting in touch with them will bring me more uh, more uh, momentum and, mm. and I will grow faster, I will learn faster. So it's not necessarily the best ones. Um, but there's also one trap that I'm very much aware of now, much aware now that I was before, is when you do that, um, there's a tendency that we all naturally have is to decrease yourself in value and you tend to lose a little bit yourself hmm. if you don't pay attention to that. So now I, I try to really stay inspired by, by the person but really try to what he or she does I keep an eye on doing it my own style. Otherwise, I lose myself very quickly, and re and and when you realize that, it's 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 it can take a while to go back to yourself. Hmm. So this is the trap. This is mm. <laughs> not to fall into, you know. Yeah, that's yeah, that resonates, and it's really interesting. I'd love to ask you a little bit more about your own climbing, and one aspect of your climbing in particular that, that really stands out to me. And I'm going to read a message that I have from Andrew, actually. And he's talking about you guys climbing together at the Red River Gorge in Kentucky and you trying a route called 24 Carats, which is, for listeners, it's a 514C that uh, I think Jonathan Seegers did the first ascent of in 2010. 
And Andrew writes, we were in Kentucky in seven degree temps. He onsided a 13C. I couldn't hold on for more than two moves. Then we went over to 24 carats and I was done for the day. He tied in, went to the last move and fell, came down, pulled the rope, waited five minutes and repeated. I think he did that six or seven times. It was crazy. His endurance seems unlimited. He didn't send that day, but he did a day or two later, as well as many other Kentucky hard routes in a few goes. I'd love to ask you about your endurance because I've heard at least two other stories that are really similar from that first trip when you were at Smith Rock of you trying a route, mm. you know, climbing up to the Red Point Crux or at least your own personal crux, falling, coming right down, pulling the rope and immediately trying again. And I, I'd love to hear uh, about your endurance and whether that's something that, um, is just a personal strength that has always come easy for you or if there's something that you have focused on in your own training or approach to climbing to really build and, and cultivate your own endurance? Hmm. <clears throat> okay, so um, maybe I will disappoint some listeners here, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I have to be honest and say, I never trained specifically for being that endurant, uh, but I trained so hard for, for uh, how can I say that? For doing the less effort possible. Mm, maybe efficiency, being as efficient. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 Right. All right. And and I think that, so I never tr trained for the endurance. But I trained so much for efficiency hmm. because I love uh, I love to make a very clean movement, mm. you know, and that really brings me lots of joy inside when I feel that I've done you know something very gracefully, easily, um, and that I haven't lost any ounces of energy. Mm. I've just spent the exact amount, I mean, the, the tiniest amount of energy possible that I need just to do that move. And I think that this has uh, taught me a lot of of, uh, of endurance. But this is the outcome. Mm. This is not the the first goal that I had. Mm. That's really interesting. I'd love to hear how you how you train that. Was that just through climbing and an intention you brought to all the climbing that you've done, or are there any specific drills that you've worked on with that? How have you focused on? Uh, building your own efficiency to such a high level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, there are lots of uh, different ways uh, to do that. Uh, but there's one way that I've used quite a lot, actually, in terms of, of efficiency and, others, and other qualities as well, is... Um, <laughs> that's funny. I, <laughs> I do have sometimes those periods where... I try to climb exactly like somebody that I admire a lot. Hmm. But I do that very intentionally and on a very limited time. Okay. So okay. I'm sure not to fall into the trap of, of being somebody else, of being another climber, you know? Huh, yeah. But when I do that, I really climb as if I were the climber. And, <laughs> and, and I've done that with Jonathan Seacrest. I've done that. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so I've done that with with uh, Patrick Edlinger, of course, uh -huh. as well. Uh -huh. um, I've done this exercise with um, uh, the Japanese uh, climber. What, what's his name? Very well-talented climbers. Well, it doesn't matter. But I've done that with lots of different climbers. Mm. And it's incredible because you're just like a child, first of all, when you do that. So hmm. to really do that correctly, so it brings you the greatest amount of learnings, you have to, to be like a child, you know. Just act as if you were that person <laughs> for maybe one week or maybe two weeks. That's not much. That's enough, you know. Mm. And and I remember that for the, the, the efficiency, um, yeah, I took that. I took that from uh, uh, from Jonathan Sigrist mainly, mostly. Yeah, 
That resonates. I mean, he is such a technician and those early videos of him climbing things like 24 carats and pure imagination. I think I watched all those a dozen times each. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's so interesting. That's so <laughs> I, I'd love to hear more about the mechanics of that. So if you were to focus on climbing like Jonathan or, or Patrick for a week or two, is that in every single route that you try or are you focusing on doing that in routes that you're already familiar with or mm. just the warm ups or yeah how do you approach that okay right uh i approach that the um, how do you say not the hard way but uh but the full entire way mm. so uh so i really do that uh, at the moment where i enter either the gym or the spot I behave like if I was that person. Wow, yeah. <laughs> because I need to fully, to, to really fully immerse myself in this, in, you know, but not, not only mentally, but the physical aspect, of course, as well. Okay? <laughs> so all the mimics and stuff and, you know, the, the, the behavior, basically. <laughs> and I immerse myself into that person so I can feel what's happening. And, and what are the differences that I, if I would try to actually do that meticulously, you know, just, just, just one aspect by the other, uh, uh, this would take me so much more time. But when you play, when you act like that, there are tons of very tiny adjustments that you make and you don't even realize it. Hmm. You just realize it later when you come back to yourself and you climb again as you are. Actually, you've learned stuff that you're not aware of. But people tell you, oh, you climb differently now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> hey, you kind of look like Jonathan Segers today. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Wow, that, that is fascinating. And I have this big smile on my face. I can't wait to go try that. I have... Uh, all these different ideas in my head about, uh, you know, climbing styles that I historically have really struggled at and people that I would want to step into the shoes of to try to improve mm. in those areas. So, yeah. yeah. What a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good one. And and really do your best to to be the person. Just And maybe warn your friends as well. And what? Warn your friends. Warn your friends. Yeah. I'm not going to be responding to Kristoff today. <laughs> You're going to have to use a different name. <laughs> to get my attention. Oh, funny. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's uh, that's incredibly helpful. Christoph, there's, uh, I, I want to respect your time. There's one more topic, though, that I would love to get into with you. And one more, I guess, specific person that I'd love to ask you about if you're open to it. And that person is Amy. I would love to ask you about Amy. And I got a couple messages from Andrew, and I, I thought I would read one more of them as kind of a preface to my question about, about who Amy is. So this is from Andrew. He wrote to me, Amy was the reason that Christoph came to Bend at all. And he was here 20 days or so before he'd even found Smith Rock. And he wouldn't have found it if he hadn't stopped by the rock gym. The disease that he shares with Amy is a real killer. Amy's dad was the president of UFO and his three daughters all died of the disease with Amy surviving the longest into her 20s. Christoph is a real rarity for living as long as he has. And of course, the doctors would have loved to have kept him in a glass bubble. All the while, Christoph doesn't have a care in the world for taking 50-foot whippers on Spank the Monkey. Ironically, he has outlived almost all with the disease, and maybe it's because he lives life so passionately. He was told from a young age, life might be very short, so live each day as if it's your last but he flipped it around on all of them and lives each day as if it was his first day of being alive. So I, I have a question. I want to come back to Spank the Monkey and more of that story. But first off, I would love to just ask you if you could tell me about Amy. Who was Amy? And um, I'd, yeah, I'd love to hear about your connection to her. Wow, well, 
Well, Amy, um, Amy for my uh, was uh, was uh, was a really good, very close friend for for a very long time because we had the same condition. But m more than that, we um, we had uh, uh, we were kind of she she used to say, "Well, you you're my soulmate," you know, hmm. and we basically had the same view on what life was. And of course, there was a huge connection between us. So. Um, And I thought I would never lose her, of course, you know, but uh, she died a couple of years ago. And um, and indeed, she was the first uh, reason why I came to Bent, because she, she lived here. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say who she is for me, actually. She, she's more than I can say. Andrew also shared, he shared a post that you had shared on your Facebook, I believe, from years ago, and he just sent it to me, and I'm going to read it if that's okay. Sure. And sure. I think this was the day that you sent Spank the Monkey, which for listeners is a, a really, one of the most beautiful climbs I've ever seen. It's a 513D arete at Smith Rock back on the monkey face. And you had just climbed it and you shared this post and you wrote, I would love to dedicate this ascent to a recently deceased friend, Amy Fraunmeyer Wynn. Like this route, she was an extraordinary human being, beautiful, pure, committed, simple, and extremely caring and attentive to her surroundings and environment, but also to herself, yet adventurous and faithful to her personal legend. May this simple publication be an opportunity to remember regularly to stop, breathe, and savor the incredible banality of just being alive. Yeah. Really beautiful words. Um, I, I'd love to hear what it was about that ascent and, and what it was that reminded you of, of Amy with that experience or that climb in particular if you could speak to that. Mm. Yes, well, um, yeah, that route especially is, uh, is quite a line. Uh, it, it's, it's those lines that you climb only once you, in your life, you know, and because uh, the difficulties here, uh, it's, it's engaged. And and it's magnificent. It's basically magnificent. So um, so and and the moment that I did that route, I just could not not make the connection. Basically, mm. so so. And I've always thought that I was. I don't climb only for myself. I know that for a very long time. Um, I I climb also for the people that I love. Um, And and I do that very, very. Um, how can I say that? It's it's just like that, you know. If I would climb only for myself, I would never have climbed so many hard routes, you know. Hmm. So I climb for all the people that I love. I climb for this community of people who have this condition, because I want to say them, but not say them, but embody the fact that you can do extraordinary things. It doesn't mm. matter what your condition is, you know? And, and, and so that's why when I finally succeeded in climbing this specific route, it was obvious that, that it was not for me that I did that. No, it was basically just not for me. And actually Amy died uh, maybe two weeks before I climbed that route. So, so I climbed that route short very shortly after she died. And um, right, that's one of the route that, you know, the ascent does not belong to me. That, that's for sure. Hmm. That, that's for sure. Sometimes, you, I don't know if, it, if this has happened to you, but you just, uh, it, you don't know how you've done the stuff. 
<laughs> but you've done it, but something greater than yourself was just here for some reasons. Hmm. And, 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 and you got wings and poof, <laughs> there you go at the end of the route, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I certainly can relate to that. And it's funny, I, I don't, I don't have a moment that comes to mind in my own climbing, but actually the first thing that comes to mind, and this might sound weird to say, but it, that, that experience really resonates with me doing this podcast. I've had a lot of moments doing this where I'm kind of like, did that conversation really just happen? Like, how, how did that happen? Or where did that come from? Hmm. What made me ask that in the moment? What made me ask that question that led to such a beautiful story from this person such a such a meaningful impactful or or vulnerable or honest comment from someone that that carries so much with it you know so and i mean i'm it's i'm saying all this i'm experiencing it now in this conversation with you so yeah i can i can certainly relate to that i would love to share uh amy i never had a chance to meet her she just seems like an amazing human and i'd love to just share a short quote from her and, and this isn't really a question but I think it just needs to be shared and this was accompanied by that post that I just read from you and it was just a quote from Amy that said stop and breathe in the awe of being alive hmm. and I just thought that was so simple and yet so profound and so beautiful so yes all right to stop and breathe in the awe of being alive. If this is, I, I mean, she is still living somehow with with all that I do because uh, <laughs> that's basically what I teach now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, amazing. Hi, right. so, uh, yeah, and, and it's funny as well because at the end of her life, uh, she, she read... Uh, a quote from a poem. She loves poetry. Mm. And I don't remember exactly what it said, but it was something like, what you love, you, you've you got to hold it, really hold on to what you really love. And when the times come that you have to let it go, just let it go. Mm. And this is exactly what climbing is. And, and that's exactly what she embodied, you know. Mm. So that's the kind of connection that we had. And uh, well, it's a great way to, to, to honor not only her, but the, this idea that you don't need to do anything to be happy to be. You, know, you just need to be, basically. Hmm. <laughs> Christophe, I would love to ask you, this is a question that I ask all my guests. What is something that you have been feeling especially grateful for lately? Hmm. Lately, I feel extremely grateful for the for the chance to live in the mountains and to have a daughter. This mm. and this is something I would have never, you know, in my up until I was thirty two years old, maybe. I didn't actually know this until this moment. Oh. This is this is wonderful. Congratulations. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, she's she's three months old. <laughs> what is your daughter's name? So in in French it's Anouk. So in English that would be Anouk. Okay. Something like that. Anouk. <laughs> Beautiful. Hi. <laughs> right. So that's the thing I'm probably the most grateful for, and you know, just having the chance to be alive, and having the chance to live the life that I have right now. It's, it's beyond my wildest dreams. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if I climb or not. Because <laughs> you get to climb with every single thing that you do. Exactly. And I can tell you, there are some stuff I need to hold on to. And there are lots of stuff I need to really let go, you know, <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> Christoph, this has been an incredible conversation. It's funny, I, I've remembered you ever since that first day climbing with you. And 
I've had you in the back of my mind, actually, as long as I've been doing this podcast. And I was looking forward to the day when we got to do this. And I, I knew that I knew that it would likely just be such a rich and insightful conversation. And it absolutely has been. And, and uh, I just am so grateful for you for taking the time and for sharing everything that you have and for living life the way that you do and being such a beacon of light for not only those that share your same condition, but for every single one of us. It truly, it truly does make all the difference in the world. So thank you. That was a French kiss. <laughs> <laughs> is there, no, thanks is there yeah. Is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with? Any final note? Anything that we haven't covered? Any parting words? Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know that's a that's a hard one. <laughs> right, you've got <laughs> you've got some pretty tough questions. <laughs> I love that. I love that challenge. Challenge. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, the, one thing that just came to mind is. Just do your best to to be a little bit lighter with everything that's happening right now. Hmm. Right. The heaviness is just something you got on your mind. And if you just think that you're lighter, you you'll climb higher basically. Hmm. Gravity is always gonna be there. That's for sure. But if you can be a little bit lighter with all that you do, then then life is much easier. Ah, <laughs> uh, perfect, perfect. I always hesitate to ask that question because it puts people on the spot, and it's such a challenging <laughs> question. But yeah. I am glad that I ask it every single time. Um, I, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, right? <laughs> that was that was really a perfect final note. And uh, again. Thank you so much. It's been really good to catch up with you and to see you again. And uh, I really appreciate this conversation. I, I loved it as well. Thanks so much for for proposing me this uh, this time because this is precious for me as well. And it mm. helps me to remember something that I maybe not think all, you know, every day. So, so thanks a lot. Thanks so much. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah, really good to see you. And I hope you... Enjoy the rest of your evening, and I look forward to talking to you again, hopefully hopefully, sooner rather than another seven-year gap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do this more often. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, likewise, likewise, Stephen. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. Take care. Take care, too. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye, Stephen. Bye. Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13 You've been working, but you're blurting With the weekend, you can freak out One in a million You're a gem, shine when the light grows dim Sing one, two, three, four Cause, cause, cause No one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it Like we do it. We got the right so we put the hammer right down. Wanna be like us?